Hello, my name is Federico Toledo and welcome to the Quality Sense podcast, where you will have the chance to improve your sense for quality by listening to some leaders who are amazing at what they do in the software industry. In each show, I'll have a one-on-one -on -one chat with them discussing specific topics related to software testing and quality. Today I will be speaking with Jan Goddard from the UK. He is a very experienced tester and public speaker. He's been working in software testing and automation with products related to broadcasting, video streaming, and most recently in virtual reality, using your mobile phone or specific devices such as special lenses. We discussed the challenges of testing this type of software, which for me was something that I was very curious about. Let's listen to this conversation. Hello, Jan. Thank you so Hi. much for accepting the invitation. I'm so happy to have you here in the show. How are you today? Thank you. Uh, it's wonderful to be here. Uh, not too bad. Not too bad. Thank you. Yeah, muddling through. <laughs> Perfect. Um, my first question for you, in order to understand a little bit more about your background in testing, <laughs> uh, how, how, can, can you tell us how, do you, how did you end up working in uh, software testing? Yeah, I, I suppose uh, anybody in our industry, uh, I think we all kind of align with the idea of being an accidental tester. I think uh, you ask many people and they'll give you that answer and I'm, I'm going to be one of those people as well. Um, <laughs> Probably I, it's I the most typical answer I, I get, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think I've ever met anybody that's actually told me, yes, I wanted to be a tester ever since I was a small child, um, you know, but... I tend to class myself as, as an accidental, accidental tester um, because I, when I was a student, um, as most students do, I needed money and uh, I went looking for uh, a job that would fill uh, some of that time uh, and, and provide me with some money. And um, I answered an advert on, a, we have a site in the UK called Gumtree, it's very similar to Craigslist. In, in the States, um, I answered an ad for a television tester. And I thought, I can do that. I can test televisions. It's on, off. How hard can it be? <laughs> um, and then I turned up and it was uh, actually a job for uh, one, one of the largest conformance testing houses in Europe and APAC. And, um, and I just kind of fell in love with it. Um, you know, it was, it was to start with some very basic conformance run test scripts. Um, And as it kind of went on, it kind of blossomed into the, the world of QA and what you can do around it. So, yeah, I, I'd say I stumbled into being an accidental tester and for better or worse, haven't left since. So I, I guess it, it was more challenging than what you expected at the beginning? Oh, for sure. Yeah, I was uh, definitely as a student just wanted something a little bit, uh, a little bit easier, a little bit more money to, to go out of a weekend. <laughs> But um Yeah, it turned into a whole big thing and, and, and really uh, just the learning curve that, I, that came out of that was insane because I was expecting plug in television, switch on, that works, move on to the next one. So uh, and, and now you're working in a company where you're testing some VR components, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, it's been quite a journey to get to this point. Um, But yeah, at the moment, I, uh, I work for a company called Melody VR. Um, what I do at the moment is I, I kind of head up their QA team. I run their, the automation side of things as well. Um, 
what we make uh, Melody is our product is uh, to use the kind of the, the line is it's an immersive live music app um, that allows users to be part of music performances. So artistic shows, music gigs, uh, festivals, and it's all part and part of the, the unique VR point of view. Uh, what that kind of means in real money is that you can use our application to watch music performances within the VR space. Um, so it's across a number of platforms, but it, it fundamentally it's you can use our platform to watch live music within the, the VR space. Have you met any artists working with this? I mean, you, know, you, you have to interview users in order to understand Indeed, their... <laughs> indeed. I, I would love to say that I have. Um, unfortunately, I've, I've joined uh, the company during all the lockdown stuff that oh, we've, okay. that's been going on. So I've, unfortunately, I haven't even met uh, many of my colleagues. So um, okay. it's been, uh, been difficult to meet artists, but I'm hopeful. We've got, uh, got some big artists lined up. So I'm very hopeful that at one point, you know, as a QA professional, I'll have to be on site and I'll have to meet them. <laughs> um, in order to let people who have no experience with VR like me, I, I haven't tried any, really? any glasses or any uh, device. Can you explain how how the product uh, looks like or how, you know, uh, to have a, a better idea of the product you're testing? Yeah, for sure. It's, um, yeah, it's kind of a difficult one to, to pitch because, you know, it's very similar to just the idea of having uh, video content uh, coming to you. So very similar to kind of the idea of the Netflix and uh, Amazon Prime and that, those kind of video servings uh, that you get instead of having them on the sort of 2D screen. So you have them on your television, your mobile and things like that. What you have in the, the virtual reality world is this, this concept of the 3D, uh, sort of 3D 360 degree space around you. And the idea that you take the content that you want, you want to watch and you, you project it onto, uh, it's called the barrel um, around your space. It's called, think about uh, a, a bubble around you. And when you immerse yourself into that world through uh, headsets or another way of, you know, taking the mobile application and you can put them into uh, little tiny headsets that you can, you can manufacture that cover the eyes, you shut out uh, the, the reality in the world that you're inhabiting now and you put yourself into this 3D world so that your, your eyes and your senses all believe that you're part of what the content that you're watching. Um, so what we do for Melody is um, we actually have uh, cameras set up at various points on the stage or around the, the, the festival venue. And it, it, it's difficult to describe, but imagine a big sort of balloon of cameras and it sits on top of a pedestal and it takes, uh, takes images from all the way around you, all 360 degrees. And then we stitch all them together. And you as a, a viewer inside the, the immersed world can view them in any space that you would normally. So if you go and see a, a gig and you really like standing at the back, you can stand at the back and you can look around and you can see the doors and you can see the bar. Um, but if you really, really want to get close to the artist, we've got cameras on stage that'll put you right next to them or next to the guitarist or the DJ or the drummer or whoever you want. And you can still position yourself where you want on the stage or uh, around the venue and then interact in that 360 degree space by looking at whatever you want to look at. Well, I hope cool. that kind of answers your question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and uh, seems something uh, like something really cool to try. Absolutely, um, yeah. 
But my next question is, how do you test that? Because I, I, I start, when you were explaining, I started to think about multiple scenarios and, and boundary values and, and different situations that can go wrong, right? Absolutely. In the user experience. So how, how's your approach to test this type of uh, applications? The approach to this is it's got to be fairly practical. As you say, there's so many edge cases uh, that you can you could just pick up from from hearing that. Um, you know, most of what we've got here is is video delivery. So there's a lot of the the, the standard things that you'd come across with video delivery that, that are, are big players in in what we test here. So you know, things like latency, huge problem for for any live video. This is something that we we have to deal with. We put a lot of live shows on. It's still, you know, a big, big problem in the, in the video world. Um, AV sync is a huge one for us, um, primarily because, you know, if, if you've got something like a, a sporting event or things like that, the AV sync can be slightly off and, and it not matter so much because you, you know, naturally you're further away from the action. You don't necessarily pick up on it. When you're talking about music performances and putting the users very, very close to the artist, you can pick up very quickly when AV is out of sync uh, because you can see them talking or interacting and, and playing the instruments. And, and that's, that's a huge problem. So that's a, a really big one for us is the AV sync. Um, as well as that, you know, it feeds into the, the general idea of the quality of experience um, that the, any, any video streaming has, um, which is, is a, it can be a huge problem. Uh, you know, if, if you're, what we call HD rates these days are mushy and annoying they're not necessarily the best quality that you can actually watch things in, but you know, that, so we have a lot of those standards, uh, standard ways of doing it specifically for the VR world. There are a lot of problems that can present themselves as well. Um, and I'm saying things that are very specific to that VR world. I, I mentioned, you know, we have a bunch of cameras on a, on a sort of big blob. There are, there are blind spots within those camera stitching it's called where we, we put all those views together there are blind spots for the cameras so you have to make sure that you know the artist is well prepped that he doesn't go drifting between the two camera spots because there's uh you know you can be the best stitcher in the world but it's still you're going to see a little divide and worst case scenario you're going to see a person split in half because they're two different camera <laughs> angles okay. um so it can be really really tricky there um I, I suppose it would be remiss of me to, to not mention the kind of the elephant in the room with VR, which is always motion sickness. Um, people are very, very worried about that and rightfully so. Um, I think, you know, for, for Melody VR, we're quite lucky in that um, the way that we present the, the virtual reality is in something that's called three degrees of freedom. Um, what, what that means is that you, you have uh, within the virtual reality world, you can move uh, around the rotational axis of your head. So you've got up and down, left and right, and you've got, um, I'm always going to get this wrong, I think it's the yaw, which is the kind of tilting your head from side to side, um, as we, you know, in the 360 space. That is kind of a lot better for, for motion sickness stuff because you, you're not moving. The motion sickness comes about when you have a disconnect from what your eyes see to what your body is telling you is happening. So when you introduce something called six degrees of freedom, um, that involves traveling movement uh, along all three of those axes we just talked about. And in that case, that's when you can think about it. Six degrees of freedom has the environment moving around you. When that happens, your body kind of has a reaction that says, hey, I'm not moving, but you think I'm moving. 
there's a something, problem here. Something weird is happening. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So that, that's where most of the motion sickness idea uh, actually comes in is because of the disconnect between your, your eyes and your brain and your body. With Melody's product, uh, you're very static. So you, we don't actually introduce too much movement. We have a little bit of movement on some cameras, um, but it's, it's not a regular thing on every camera. So you don't end up with this kind of disconnect. Um, sometimes in the VR world, you can have that, that problem. And, and this is one of the things with the six degrees of freedom applications, you often have peripherals like hands, uh, hand signals and things like that, that, that kind of ground you a little bit more in, in the, in the environment. Um, the other thing of course is, you know, people come up with all these sorts of lovely space age matrix style things, you know, treadmills that run in every direction and harnesses that are anti-gravitic and all that kind of stuff which you see at uh, all the trade shows and things and look, look fantastic, but I've yet to see them deployed in any anger anywhere. But uh, yeah, so for us, motion sickness is not too much of a problem, but yeah, the, fundamentally it's, it's the, the video side of things that's the, the main testing areas that we need to look at. I'd like to make a short pause to thank Abstracta for sponsoring this podcast. Abstracta is a company fully dedicated to software testing that can work with you to push the quality of your product and processes to the next level. Within all the approaches for testing that you are considering for your test strategy, are, are you also considering some automation? I don't know about the, the, the different tools available for for verifying because I, what I'm thinking is that probably the, the hardest part is to add validations to this type of uh, systems, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it certainly is something that we want. Uh, you know, you speak to any QA professional and that they'll probably give you the same thing. Yes, we want automation to be in there. The, the thing is with automation for the, the VR world, and, and I'd say this is, again, mirrored in the video world as well, is there's a lot of things that are very, very hard to automate there and next to impossible for, for a lot of them. Um, you know, we, we mentioned quite a few things being quality of experience, and that can be very subjective, um, which makes it, as you say, it's very hard to verify um, you know, what's actually going on. You, you can have set... Uh, parameters that you might want to check. So I, I mentioned the HD rates and you know, you can verify that you're getting uh, a, what is defined as an HD rate being reproduced in your, in your application that can be programmatically done. Um, and, and that's not a problem. So automation can cover that. However, just because it's programmatically says you're getting one, you're getting the, the right HD rate down or whichever profile level that you're actually seeing the, the, the video at, that can actually translate into not a very good viewing experience for, for a number of reasons. So yes, programmatically, you can come in and do automation on that level that, that tells you exactly what's being reproduced in, in this virtual reality world, in the, in the video scope. But actually, is that going to give you what you want at the end of this? Because yes, you, you can automate a lot of kind of the unit level stuff, but is that really going to tell you how the end user is, is actually uh, viewing your product? So end-to-end yeah. -end testing is incredibly hard uh, to get the automation stuff in there. It, it doesn't help as well that you know the, the level of maturity for the tooling that's available is quite low. Um, so you know you're you're almost forced into the idea of creating proprietary tooling just to fit the kind of niche that you need. Um, I, I'm a big believer in putting in as much automation as you absolutely can, um, and you know. You may say, you, you, oh, you only get a percentage of things automated. Yes, but that's a percentage of things you don't have to 
manually test. So, you know, the advantages I, I think outweigh not putting them in. But yeah, the VR world can be, can be tricky. Yeah, I'm thinking now that uh, this is something that typically happens with all the, the tooling around testing. First, you have the technology and maybe a couple of years after mm -hmm. you have tools that helps you test uh, this specific technology. So probably the same is happening with VR. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Um, you know, I mean, when I when I first started doing my journey in the in the QA world, and automation was still a bit of a dark art that um, you know only certain specialists really kind of knew, and you had to you had to have a developer hat on in order to run automation as a QA person, and it was very secretive. And now, certainly, web automation, and I'd probably put mobile into that too, is becoming so much more accessible that you know, many many people can pick that up. Um, Within the VR world, yeah, I think we're, we're at that place now. Like you say, it's still new. Um, it'll, it'll take some, some smart-brained people to come in and build some tooling to, to, to demonstrate that it's possible. I think yeah. you know, once you've demonstrated it's possible, then people can make it better. And you know, I, I, I certainly, for, for a lot of my automation stuff that I do, as I'm a big believer in open source. And it's difficult for companies to build proprietary tooling to make that jump over to let's make this open source so everybody can do it because it gives you the advantage uh, yeah. in the small world that we're in where nobody has it yet. Yeah. It's difficult to convince people to move into that space. So the, the stuff that we build for VR, uh, I would love to be open sourcing. I'm a big believer in paying it back, but who knows, you know, we're, we're not quite at that stage where we're talking about rolling out the next Selenium just yet, but hopefully one day. Maybe in the future, yeah. yeah. I'm thinking also, in, in, you, you mentioned at the beginning, you have to consider all the things for the broadcast. Uh, and we, we've been working in uh, plugins for JMeter in order to automate the, uh, a performance test for yeah. a broadcast. But uh, there are new protocols appearing for broadcasting the video. Is, is what I mentioned before. It's like... A, you have the protocols, you have people working with them, and now we are working in the tools to, to provide you the ability yeah. of, of doing a performance test. Absolutely. We'll get there, and it'll, it'll open up a, a world. Like, the video world is quite closed off at the moment, but so, as I said, Selenium was quite closed off a few years ago, and now it's opening, and yeah. we've even got competitors for it, and that's, that's amazing to see. Yeah, totally. I have another question, which is uh, because I, uh, you are in a very niche yeah. industry, right? Absolutely. So I guess it, 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 will be, it could be difficult to find people with the skills needed to test your product. So yeah. when you think about scaling up your team, mm -hmm. how do you onboard someone? How do you train them? Which skills are important? Yeah, absolutely. It's uh... It's a very interesting question and actually one that we are, well, I am dealing with and HR are dealing with as we speak. Um, you know, we, we're a growing company and uh, we're only getting bigger from here. So we've got to scale up. Um, it's, it can be difficult. Um, you know, we, the, the idea of finding the right person for, for the job can be, you know, I, I, don't, I don't like to pigeonhole people and say, oh, okay, well, this person has it's got automation experience, so they're going to be really good at doing the programmatic side. Or this person's worked with the VR world, so they'll be really good at, you know, people can be different across whatever, uh, you know, industries they're, they're working in. Um, but for us at the moment, you know, because it's such a, uh, a heavy leaning on manual testing, 
that's kind of where we're mostly searching for our candidates is people who have experience. It's wonderful to find people who have experience in the virtual reality world, um, but there are not very many of them. And as I'm sure you, you can be aware, you know, so finding those people is great, but it can't be a prerequisite for our, our hiring. Um, we've, we've had people interviewing from a, a wide range. I mean, a lot of people from the kind of the games testing world, they, they do have a lot of transferable skills there. They kind of already know the VR space a little well. If they don't necessarily know it as being the virtual reality space, they kind of games inhabit a virtual reality space within a 2D screen, or as it were. So they're kind of already there. Um, and, and they've got experience with some of the, the engines that, that we use to generate these, these spaces. Um, it, yeah, finding the right people to, to interview can be tricky, but that's kind of where we'll, we've had a lot of good candidates, actually, to be fair. And it's been really interesting uh, from lots of different backgrounds uh, as to how we pick people up um, from broadcast gaming, um, straight web development. Uh, we had a, a couple of developers, actually, who were moving across, making that jump into the QA world, which is wonderful to see because it's usually the other way around. Um, but when we, when we start to scale up and we've got people in, the training has to be uh, quite a soft approach, I think. Uh, you know, I, I don't believe anybody's going to be the best and know everything that's going to happen with a new company within two weeks, especially given the kind of the situation that we're all in uh, for the last year. Uh, you know, it's it's difficult to, to onboard people into that world. So I, I don't I don't demand people are suddenly working on tickets after two weeks. I think that's completely unreasonable. Um, you know, getting a, a, a VR device with an application in somebody's hands as early as possible is one of the best things that we can do. Not just because, you know, it, it could be somebody who's never used VR before, or, uh, you know, it could be someone who's got extensive use of VR but has no idea how our application works. So giving them the time to essentially have, you know, a free play session and say, hey, we've installed the app for you, go and play with it, go and watch your favorite artist on there, have a play around, you know, do the things that good QA do and poke everything until you break it. And then you understand how it works a little more. That, that's you, kind you understand of, the, the, the user in that perspective absolutely. because you, became, you become the, the user. Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, it's something I've, I've always said to, to anybody who, who I've onboarded to any team I've ever been part of is, you know, if you break it, that means that a user might break it. So don't worry about breaking it. Don't be, a, don't be scared to go and hit things. And they go, oh, I'm really sorry, I hit the button and now this is broken. And it's like, no, that's exactly what I'm paying you for. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I want what I want. So that's, uh, you know, kind of how I, I approach things. Is I, I want people to just go and be the good QA that they are and break stuff, play with it, learn how it works. The other thing, and, uh, and I suppose I'll make enemies on one side and friends on another side, is documentation. You know, mm -hmm. you, me personally, I like things being documented. Um, but that comes with the caveat that they've got to be maintained um, because, you know, I, I have a, a friend I used to work with uh, a long time ago who, when I, I asked them to update a Confluence page, told me, but Confluence is where documents go to die. And um, I, I think they might be right <laughs> for a lot of them. Um, but if you've got these things documented into, uh, you know, a, a welcome pack and just how to, how do you install the application, uh, you know, Simple things as well, like who are we in this day and age where, where I haven't even met half my colleagues? Who who is in our QA team? You know, who is this person, this disembodied voice that you hear on the stand up every now and then? You know, just having a kind of set of documents you can hand over to someone and say, "Here's a bunch of documents. You should read them. 
not all at once, but you know, if you want to come and talk to me, I, I tend to try and make a lot of time for any new starters to say, if you bother me during the day, it doesn't matter. My entire focus is you for the next week or so. So I'll get other bits of work done, but you're my focus. So yeah, so, like I said, soft approach, pairing with people and getting them kind of up and running with the, the application is kind of, kind of my goal for that. I guess that uh, collaboration with developers is also key here and also establishing the, the connections it's, uh, with, yeah. with the rest of the people will be a challenge nowadays, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it, it can be really, I mean, it can be challenging, you know, the best of times when before all of this, where we could actually go and talk to somebody at their desk, you know, I, and I, I've always been a big believer in, I, I hate the us versus them mentality, QA versus dev. I, I, I hate that as an idea. I hated it when I operated on a over the fence kind of QA team. And I hated it when I was trying to integrate into uh, development teams and, Yeah, now it's, it's even harder because you need to, A, you need to know who they are. Mm -hmm. um, you know, at least in the, in the olden days when we could go and walk over to, you know, somebody's particular area. And you know, oh, these are the front end guys. These are the guys who take note of their faces and you can see them. Now it's kind of, okay, well, who's, who's working on the front end? Okay, well, you, know, you can talk to Alex, you need to talk to Steve, you need to, and you need mm -hmm. to you know, list them out and actually direct somebody towards these people. So it can be very difficult to get them integrated in that way, but I'm a big believer in QA. I, I hate to use the cliche, but the shifting left mentality and getting QA in, involved early is, is vital for the applications that we're all developing these days. You know, if you don't have us involved, we're going to go back to the old school of, right, you kick it to us, we play with it for a while, we kick it back to you, and then we say there's problems, and you kick it back, and we bounce that around for a while, and then four months yeah. down the line, later than our deadline, nobody's happy. So if we're involved early, everybody kind of wins in that situation. Um, and that, that's what I want to do with anybody who's is on board is really get them involved early and say, Hey, look, these are the people that you're going to work with regularly, get to know them. I don't mind if you go and have meetings with them outside of the QA meetings or the, or the ticket meetings or the workload or whatever, just chat to them, become their friend. You know, that's, that's one of the benefits of working with people. You get to make new friends, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. A couple of final questions for you. <laughs> One of them is uh, if you have any habit that enhance your productivity that you want to share. Yeah, I, I suppose there's a, there's a couple that I would say have served me well uh, in, in my time. They, they are kind of cliche, I suppose, but um, the, the big one for me, and, and I'm, I'm a terrible person for taking on too much work, um, and I'll, I'll say the, my advice is learn when and how to say no um, because you you can as a QA person you can often get to take on more and more tickets because you think it'll be quick and you think it'll just be a, a nice little check and then it turns into a really big problem and suddenly the three other tickets that you've also said yes to haven't had any attention today and now that becomes a spiral um, being able to say no and diplomatically say no Um, can, can really help. Uh, it certainly has helped me. Um, the the think, other big one... I, th I think, sorry, I, I think it's true. It's a cliche, but it's really hard to, to do it properly because yeah. I struggle all the time with this, you know? I, I, it's really difficult to say no. And maybe yeah. when there are so many things that are... When you feel passionate about mm -hmm. so many things, it's, uh, yeah, uh, we have to prioritize. 
question. Absolutely. And, and I mean, that, you know, the priorities of things can come down from any source to, you know, your product owner or, or whoever, your, your actual boss or your QA manager or whoever. But at the end of the day, you're the only real person who knows your workload. Yeah. And if, if you say no, if any of any people who report to me say no to something, I know they've got a good reason for it. You know, I, I like to give people the benefit of the doubt in that, you know, there's a reason you're saying no. And if that's, there's a reason, I'm happy. You know, I'd, I'd rather say, but let somebody else deal with that task. Not a problem. Um, the, other, the other big one for me, and I think this is something that I, I took me a long time to learn, is just accept the fact that it's okay to ask for help. Um, and that, that's not just from a point of view if you're struggling with something. Um, I found that this is a really good piece of advice for any any QA person that's trying to make the jump into a more technical role, maybe um, somebody who doesn't necessarily have the coding experience, go and ask the, the developer who worked on that ticket just to explain to you how it works. Or, you know, it, honestly, if, if you just, you want to QA it quickly, go and get them to show you the, the feature working. And it's amazing how much you learn about the product and the coding and how things fit together but also how quickly developers will QA themselves if you ask them to demonstrate it. You know, the amount of times that I've, I've said that to a developer and they've gone, oh, no, that's a bug. Oh, that's also a bug. And then you sort of think, well, I've done my job and also I've learned something. <laughs> yeah, uh, you, 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 I, I really like this because it's like we, were, we started talking about very challenging uh, technical things but the key skills that you're highlighting are very uh, soft skills or professional mm. skill as they call it because yeah. it's like uh, for me the, the second one it's it's hard because you have to be humble in order to master yeah, this yeah. this skill you know you have to recognize that maybe you cannot do it alone you need Absolutely. someone else uh, help in order to achieve or to learn more or to But the first step is like recognizing, I don't know that. And it's okay. Absolutely. It's okay, absolutely. And, and that's the thing as well. You know, it, it's difficult from day to day. You know, you can have a really good day and be all over things. And then the next day, those things just don't make sense. Uh, you know, as you say, if you can recognize that in yourself, which is harder said than done on a lot of occasions. Yeah. <laughs> but if you can, you know, it, it really does help, I think. Yeah, totally. Uh, I, I can see in your background that you have a lot of books. So I would like if you, if, if you can suggest or recommend any book uh, you like. Yeah, certainly. Uh, I suppose like all these other questions, I probably have several that I could, I could go to. Um, for, from an industry point of view, um, I've never been one for, for reading a lot of books about the industry. I find that you know, hands-on learning can be more valuable than most books. But I would say that things that have impressed me from an industry side, uh, and I know that she was featured on series one of your, of your podcast, uh, Lisa Crispin and Janet Gregory's books, um, mm -hmm. Agile Testing, and then subsequently more Agile Testing, uh, were both excellent reads. Um, I, I was a big fan of them. Uh, so they're, they're probably my, my industry picks, I would say. Uh, from a non-industry pick, uh, I'm a massive sci-fi nerd. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a big... Again, make enemies, I suppose, but I'm a big SpaceX fan. And the idea of going to Mars, that makes me very excited. Uh, lots of testing required there, I'm sure. Um, and I think a book that I would read, I'd take for anyone, is uh, a book. It's actually a series, but it, the first book is called Red Mars. Um, and it's a book about, uh, we, it makes a couple of assumptions that we can get to Mars and we'll get to colonize Mars. And then it's kind of a future history 
uh, like how how that unravels, how do we go about the politics of Mars and mm. their interactions with Earth? And it's, uh, I mean, they're big books. I think there's three of them and I think they're all about 600 pages. So if we settle in, but uh-huh. um, uh, yeah, I'd say Bread, Bread Mars is definitely one I would say to anybody, probably my favorite book right now. Cool. Um, I will share the in the notes, uh, the links to, to the different books you mentioned. Um, um, to wrap up the interview, Uh, would you like to invite the listeners to uh, reach out to try your product or whatever? This is the time for that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I you know, Melody VR. Um, I, I've never had to go to the website myself, but I believe it's MelodyVR.com. Um, <laughs> you can see, you know, what we've what we're doing there. Uh, some of the artists that we've got on on the applications and some of the upcoming. Uh, That's uh, available on mobile devices, Android, iOS, as well as if you've got an Oculus uh, headset, then please do go and go and get it. There's, you can sign up for free. There's lots of free shows on there. Um, you can enjoy uh, the product. There's a lot of uh, a lot of artists. I don't know who they are, which I think ages me more than it does <laughs> the artists that we're getting on. But uh, lots of good stuff on there, and we're doing lots of ticketed shows as well. So a lot of big name artists that come in for for shows. You can come and come and see them. Um, and if you If you want to follow me, I, I think probably Twitter is the best place. I do tweet from time to time. Some of it's industry-based. Some of it is me ranting. And some of it is uh, me posting funny cat gifs. Um, so that's uh, Ian Goddard 88 if you want to follow me. Uh, don't expect too many exciting things because I'm not that exciting. But uh, I do interact with everybody who talks to me. So if you want to reach out to me, that's fine. Um, I suppose other than that, once we settle back into normal Hopefully I'll be back on conferences and, and speaking. If you see my name and uh, you're interested in talking to me about anything, I love talking to people at conferences. Please do stop me in the corridors and, and uh, come, come see me if I am talking. But uh, also, also stop me in the corridors if you want to have a chat. Amazing. Thank you so much, Jan, for your time. Thank you. Um, I will try the, the application. I'm very curious about it. And also cool. I will think with a mind of a tester Let me know which ones you're going to break. <laughs> okay. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. I hope your sense for quality got better after this conversation. Thank you so much for listening. And please subscribe to Quality Sense Podcast. Tell your friends, your family, your colleagues, or whoever you think can benefit from listening to it. I hope to see you soon. Adios, amigos. Thank you.